time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac. My name is Dan McLaughlin and welcome into the Wednesday edition of the show on 101 ESPN. If you want to jump in on anything that I have to say, text us. We'll get to that in the third segment. 65780-65780. Brian Walton is coming up. We'll talk about the immediate future for Colton Wong. We'll talk about also do they pick up or at least extend, look at signing Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and arbitration cases for the Cardinals. Brian Walton, the Cardinal Nation, coming up. We'll start with the World Series, and it started like a nostalgic home game in Texas for Los Angeles. Well, we've had all the introductions. We've had all the pomp and circumstance. We've had all the fuss and feathers, but it's time. It's time for Dodger baseball. That's how they do it from the great Vin Scully. That's how he starts his broadcast. That's how they do it at Dodger Stadium. That's how they started it last night. The Dodgers, three wins away from their first championship in 32 years. Clayton Kershaw, he was awesome. This is what they needed. He retired 17 of the final 18 batters he faced, leading L.A. to an 8-3 win over Tampa Bay. Great game tonight all the way around for us. Didn't feel too different other than being not in our home ballpark or being on the road or anything like that. But, you know, like you said, I've gotten to do this before. And, you know, the last couple haven't gone so well for me. So I'm fortunate to get out there in game one and get another chance at it. And, uh, you know, we pulled out a win tonight and our guys played awesome. And we're excited to come back tomorrow and try to do it again. So here is the difference in this start for Kershaw as a opposed to some of the other starts in postseason play. Swings and misses. 38 swings against him, 19 swings and misses. So about 50%. Dave Roberts, manager of the Dodgers, didn't stick with him through it. And that was also the difference. You know, in other times that he's had these kind of starts, he's been that good, and then they just ride him. It's the sixth, it's the seventh, it's the eighth, and they say, well, we're just going to keep going with you, and then boom, Matt Adams hits one out, or somebody else. This time, they didn't do that. He wasn't out of gas, but they went to their bullpen, so a good move by Dave Roberts. It's great, and it started with Clayton. He set the tone. He was he was very good, very efficient. Um, the slider wasn't great early. Um, the fastball was good all night. And the fastball command, the curveball was good. So um, for, us to, for him to get us through six, um, you know, and uh, kind of match up a little bit, I thought Pedro was really good. And um, Joe Kelly was good. So it was good to kind of prevent runs tonight. It is six to one, top of the order. Mookie Betts, first pitch with a fly ball to right field. Heading on back is Renfro at the wall, and it's gone, a home run. Mookie Betts is doing merely everything. A home run, two stolen bases, couple of runs scored, and on the first pitch of the bottom of the sixth, he hits a home run to right. Back in 2016, um, once I uh, came in second in the in the MVP, I knew it was going to be tough for me to repeat that or, or get better. And I think I told myself I just want to be consistent. So you know, watching the greats play. They're 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 all just really consistent, you know. They they hit their home runs and you know, constantly are driving runs constantly, walk constantly, make good plays constantly. That's not just one and then a long period of time before another one. Um, you know, you just have to be be good at 
all aspects of the game all the time don't take plays off. And that's, uh, I think 2016 was when I told myself that's what I want to do. The guy is awesome. It's the curse of the Bambino. It may be the curse of Mookie Betts before it's all said and done in Austin. The Dodgers have an all-star lineup. It's led by Betts. And they didn't really pitch to Randy Arozarena. That is a key in this series. He went 0-3 with a walk. Also, the starter, he struggled. Tyler Glass now issued six walks. That can't happen to that lineup. Game two will feature Blake Snell for Tampa. The Dodgers are going with Tony Gonsolin. Some baseball news off the field. The reality is the, the Astros cheated uh, in 2017 um, and, and cheated a little bit uh, again in 2018 using just the decoder method, and, um, and it was wrong. That's former Astros GM Jeff Luno in an interview with a Houston TV station. It was about 37 minutes. It's his first public comment since the Houston cheating scandal. Notice how he said the Houston Astros. He didn't say we. He didn't say I. He said the Astros. Then he changed his tune. Remember, Major League Baseball announced its discipline of the Astros in January, suspended Luno and manager A.J. Hinch for the 2020 season, stripped the organization of four dress, and baseball handed out a $5 million fine. I didn't know we were cheating. I had no idea. I wasn't involved. Major League Baseball's report stated that I didn't know anything about the trash can banging mm-hmm. scheme. They stated I might have known something about the video decoding scheme and not paid it much attention, but there was really no credible evidence of that claim. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know about either of them. And it felt like on that day that I was getting punished for something that I didn't do. And it didn't feel it didn't feel right. Uh-huh. Luno said he presented baseball commissioner Rob Manfred a lengthy binder containing emails, documents, testimony to counter the allegations and his involvement. He even went as far as to say he would take a lie detector team about five different times, either because I noticed it myself or because MLB called me and said, we think there might be a potential violation here. I followed up quickly, I followed up vigorously, I talked to the coaching staff, I talked to the video room staff, and I told them we've been you know, accused of a violation, let's make sure we're doing everything right. Before the playoffs, in both 18 and 19, I sent an email to MLB, mm-hmm. them, letting them know that we were going to follow the rules and that we were, we were not going to do anything improper. And I followed that email up by sending it to people in the video room and the, and the coaching staff and said, let's please follow the rules. Now, why would I do all that if I were somehow behind this or even if I were aware of it? It just it doesn't make sense. Rob Manfred, commissioner of baseball, addressed those comments yesterday before game one. I'd say two things. Um, First of all, the 22,000 electronic messages that Jeff talked about over and over again were a fraction of the evidence in the case. There was a lot of other evidence, electronic testimony. Jeff's culpability in this matter. Secondly, whether he exactly knew what was going on or not is really beside the point. After the Apple Watch incident, I wrote to all the GMs. I put them on notice 
that it was their obligation to make sure that their organizations were not violating any of the sign-stealing rules. I think it's pretty clear from the facts that Mr. Lunau failed to discharge that obligation. He damaged the game, and as a result, he was disciplined. Luno wants to get back into sports. He said soccer, football, maybe even baseball. Who knows? In the same interview, Rob Manfred was asked about the start of next year's baseball season. How many games could be played? What does the season look like? One thing that I've learned during this pandemic, um, the prediction business is a dangerous business. Um, Obviously, we would love to play 162. You know, it is our business. It's the the season that our fans um, expect and love. And, you know, the only kind is honest what's going to happen with respect to what has proven to be a very unpredictable virus. Our plan is to start on our regular schedule. We've issued a schedule for next year. I think that the reality is all planning for 2021 for us and for, you know, every other business in America has to have an asterisk next to it in terms of what the course of the virus is going to be. All right. So if you're the Cardinals or any other major league team, how do you set your roster? How do you conduct business? What does the season look like? On my website, scoopswithdannymac.com. There's a podcast with Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch that dropped yesterday. It's with Chris. They talked about some of the biggest orders of business. And that means some of the biggest names on the team's roster. Holden Long has a $12.5 million option for next year. The Cardinals have another guy who will make around the minimum and play second base. Are they going to cut payroll in a way where they have to make a call there? Um, they, they, that's an answer. That's a question they are faced with. And, you know, talking with Colton, you know, or seeing how receptive he is to an extension, that was something in spring training that he was open to, you know, and that would give them cost certainty. It might scale back some of the cost for 2021, not quite clear. Um, but the, but the Cardinals do have a deadline coming up after the world series to exercise that option or pay the buyout of a million dollars. So it's the difference of $11.5 million. And that's no small thing when they're talking about, you know, a year coming off with zero revenue. So that's part of it. Then, then it also is like, what does it take to re-sign Molina? And does he have to go through the free agent process to make that possible? And the same thing with Wainwright, though, like him taking a pay cut from what he had this last year doesn't seem likely given how well he pitched. So, you know, but he might wait. In fact, he probably will wait on where Molina is. And then once they have those things, that still doesn't answer the biggest question of them all, which is what can they count on as far as revenue for 2021? So more on that. The arbitration cases, free agency, Colton Wong. We'll start with that with Brian Walden. That's on up next on 101 ESPN. Want to get your feedback as well. 65780 on the text. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Glove by Wong, gets up and what a play. Takes a hit away from Jerickson Profar. On his way to the gold glove here in 2019, that's Colton Wong. Wong with the catch, with his back to the infield. Play. What a play by Colton Wong. Oh, what a play here. Out there, double play! Oh, Wong! Little flare, Wong going out, leaps Told the guys in the go-go tournament, I plan on being here, you know, for a long time. I don't want to give this up. I don't plan on giving this up. You know, I expect to be here for a while. And um, man, it's just one of those things where 
you know, after you taste a little bit of success, you know, you want it all. The St. Louis Cardinals, National League Central Division champions. One of the best in baseball in 2019 carried over to 2020. Now the Cardinals have a decision on Colton Wong. They hold a $12.5 million option as to whether or not they want to pick it up and continue the association with Wong as their leadoff man and second baseman moving forward. Brian Walton of the CardinalNation.com joins me every Wednesday. Let's start with that, Brian. Do the Cardinals move forward with Colton Wong? Absolutely. And, you know, it, as you mentioned, he has a, a team option for $12.5 million for next year or a million dollars buyout. And there are actually people who have suggested, not media people, more people on social media, suggested that the Cardinals pay the million to buy out his option and just let him walk. Or that they could somehow buy out his option and convince him to sign at a lower salary. Well, that's not going to happen. You put Wong in the market and other teams are going to line up to give him a multi-year contract because he's a premium defensive player uh, and, and a guy that, you know, a lot of team, most teams would want. So then the option comes to, do you just exercise the option and do nothing and have that $12.5 million on the salary? Or do you exercise the option and trade him for value? And, you know, there are folks who look at Tommy Edmond and say, hey, he could, you know, potentially step in at, at second base. But you've also got a problem at third base next year, given that Brad Miller's gone and, and uh, Matt Carpenter's back. But there's a potential of having a designated hitter. The options that I prefer have to do with signing long to a longer-term extension. Because I believe that Wong is a kind of core player that the Cardinals are going to want to have around for a long time. But if you sign him to a long-term extension now and you don't rework his 2021 option, you know, what did you really gain? I mean, you might as well wait another year and kind of see what happens with a new CBA that's going to be in place. And, you know, are the games going to be played next year or not? The, the way that I would approach Colton Wong and his agent is to offer him an extension that's more back-end loaded, that would give the player more years but but have more of the money loaded later in the contract and convince him to take less, maybe half, say six and a half million this year, and spread that extra six million that he would have gotten over the later years of the contract. That helps the Cardinals who are short on revenue next year, but it also allows them to keep a guy who I think is a glue part of their team. I think the defense revolves around Colton Wong, and I think he's a guy that the Cardinals should want to keep. As currently constructed, too, the Cardinals are built on defense and pitching in no particular order or pitching and defense any way you want to look at it. And he's a cornerstone of that. So that's something you got to think about as well. Absolutely. And who are the most important defensive players? Are you the middle players up middle? And, you know, Colton Wong, I mean, we've seen the kind of range he has, the kind of plays he makes. Uh, you know, you put he and Paul Goldschmidt on the right side of that that defense and, and the balls just aren't getting through. And that affects the team in every game in some way or another. And they aren't ways that necessarily show up on the stat lines or in the box scores. In terms of some of the business the Cardinals have to take care of coming up, arbitration eligible players, they've got Jack Flaherty, John Gant, Harrison Bader, Alex Reyes, Jordan Hicks, John Brabia. So they're in better shape than some teams in terms of arbitration eligible players. So how do you try to figure out arbitration players when you have a truncated season? How do you think this is going to work? Well, the, the arbitration process, you know, has all kinds of formulas and it's primarily built on what comparable players have done in the past, how they performed in the past. So 2020 results, while they would be important, aren't the only thing they look back like three years so, and in the case of the Cardinals, John Gann is the only player who's in his second year of arbitration. They don't have anybody who's in their third year of arbitration, the last year before free agency. So five of the six guys you mentioned, Flaherty, Bader, 
uh, Alex Reyes, Hicks, and Brebbia are all first-year arbitration players. And generally, the first year in arbitration, while their step-up in salary is significant over the you know less than six hundred thousand that they made, you know some of them are going to make maybe double. In the case of Flaherty, you know he might make four times what he made before, but still it's going to be in the two or three million range, not an incredible amount of money. All those players together in a projection that um, Major League Baseball um, trade rumors put together shows that they're going to cost the Cardinals potentially less than 10 in total. And so I think in every case, and by the way, we should talk about Brebbia specifically because he's one that's come up that might be a non-tender candidate. But I think in all six cases, the Cardinals are going to work with these players and hopefully get them signed before an arbitration hearing. Normally we see that. That's how the Cardinals have done business primarily. I think the last one that went to arbitration with uh, an arbiter was Michael Walker. And it's an unco- uncomfortable situation, I'm sure, for the player, maybe on both sides, but normally they get this done. In terms of Brebbia, uh, he would maybe be the one on the outside looking in. He's coming off Tommy John. What do you think? Well, I think on the first point, Dan, of going to a hearing, I think there's a better than 50-50 chance that Jack Flaherty will take the Cardinals to arbitration. I mean, if you look at his concern that he's expressed all along about the entire player compensation process, and now add to that, this is his first time arbitration eligible where he has a say potentially in how much he's going to make. And by the way, a new labor agreement is being negotiated, hopefully will be negotiated between players and owners in the background. You know, I don't expect the Cardinals to give Flaherty an offer that's going to knock him over, and he might actually be the guy to, to go to hearing. Wouldn't surprise me. But the, the important point is Flaherty's under contract with the Cardinals for the next three. The Cardinals own his rights, and that won't change unless they do something different. The only debate here is how much he's going to get paid next year. And whatever Jack Flaherty gets paid in 2021, he's going to be worth it. Now, John Brebbia, that's a different side of the court. Brebbia is out, right, with Tommy John surgery. Well, he was the best, according to our statistical analysis, he was the best member of the pen in 2018. He put up solid and consistent results again in 2019. But he missed. You know, he won't be back till midseason 2021 due to Tommy John. And so you look at a guy like Brebby and you say, well, you know, if the team's trying to save a little money, they're trying to save a roster spot, they could non-tender Brebbia. And what that means is rather than pay risk paying Brebbia what he could make during arbitration, they say, we are not going to tender you a contract. We're not going to give you a contract, John Brebbia. You are now a free agent. Well, John Brebbia is not a, you know, a marginal guy at the back end of the roster. I mean, he's a valuable reliever. And according to these estimates from MLB trade rumors, they think Brebbia will only get 800000 via uh, arbitration this year. So, I mean, it's only a couple hundred thousand more than a, a guy to replace him. So I think for the money, assuming the Cardinals can deal with the roster, you know, having to keep him on, you know, I think Brebbia is a good investment and it would be a nice guy to, you know, rejoin the team and give him a little bump uh, mid-year in 2021. How about a timetable with bring back Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright? It's it's front and center. It's it's on the burner for the Cardinals. What do you think? Well, ideally, I mean, as most folks know, hopefully listening to this, both Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina will technically become a free agent after the World Series. And the first five days, the Cardinals have exclusive negotiating rights. And in the past, the two, past two years, Wainwright was in this situation, and he signed very quickly. You know, because hey, you know, he knew he wanted to come back. The Cardinals did. They came up with a, a contract with a base and and some uh, options. I mean, some uh, incentives that that worked for both sides. That could easily happen again. In Molina's case, it's going to be a little trickier. He's, he wants two years. You know, there's questions about how much he should play versus how much he wants to play. And 
Molina made 20 million this last year. Made in fact the last three, each of the last three years, and he's going to have to come down significantly in what he gets as a base salary. And so there's always a risk of of insult and lack of respect perceived if the Cardinals come in with an offer that Molina and his agent feel are are lowball. But in terms of the timing, again, the Cardinals would probably ideally get Molina signed quickly, figure out what he needs, find the middle ground and get it done. So there isn't a lot of time with Molina looking at other teams and, you know, all the rhetoric and all the, the malarkey that goes on in free agent time. But here's the problem, Dan. When the World Series is over, the Cardinals also have to restore all five of those injured pitchers. And here I'm talking about the, the Brebbias and Dakota Hudsons and Hicks and all that, that have been out for the year. They have to put them back on the 40-man roster. And yes, the free agents come off the roster. But even so, when you do the math, the Cardinals are one spot over the limit. They're at 41 players. So they got to you know, shave somebody off the back end right away. So my long-winded way answer is that if Wainwright and Molina signed right away, the 40-man man to 43 players. So now two more guys have to come off somehow, some way. And what we saw last winter when the Cardinals were in a roster crunch, the way they got around this, yeah, they let some, you know, they let some marginal guys go like Mike Myers and, and uh, Dominic Leone. But they also made a couple trades. They traded away Adolis Garcia. They traded away... Randy Rosarena and Jose Martinez, and they got in return players that didn't have to go on the 40-man roster. You know, with more time, the Cardinals might be able to do some more things with their 40-man roster, but if Wainwright and Molina sign right away, that forces them to act very, very quickly. So there's a timing issue. Brian Walden, the Cardinal Nation, and Brian has at the site right now really interesting article about Randy Rosarena, the talk of baseball in the postseason um, of course, everybody saw this coming, didn't they, Brian? Well, listen, I, I mean, I think everybody knew that Randy, Randy Rosarena had the potential to be a very, very good major leaguer. You know, nobody saw that he was going to do the kind of things that he did in September and especially here in the, in the postseason. And it's a wonderful story, and I'm happy for Randy. What I, what I struggle is with the people so angry at the, at the Cardinals for not seeing this. Now, granted, the, the Tampa Bay Rays obviously saw something that they wanted in him, but they before who is viewed by everybody who looks at prospects as a better prospect than a Rosarena was. And, and of course, here I'm talking about Matthew Libertor. So the problem is, of course, Matthew Libertor has never pitched a game above Class A, so he's not going to help the Cardinals. And we all see Randy Rosarena, you know, is providing power, surprising power, uh, for, you know, that folks would like to see on a Cardinals team that lacks power. You know, the reality is when I went back and did a detailed analysis of all the national prospect raiders, so not the people who drink the Cardinals Kool-Aid or have the red colored glasses, but the people who look at prospects across the game for a living, who talk to scouts, who deal with professionals in the game. And of the national raiders, and I'm talking about MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, Fangrass, you name them, six out of the eight didn't have Randy in the top 10 of the Cardinals system prior to the trade. Not a one of them had him in the top 100 prospects in the game last year or this year, even after he went to Tampa Bay. And after the trade, the one organization that was highest on him, Baseball HQ, only slotted Randy in at the number 13 prospect in the Tampa system, known as having the, if one of the, if not the top farm system in baseball. But the point is, nobody saw what Randy Rosarena was going to be. Uh, but, and, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's too bad he's not with the Cardinals, but he's not. And teams make, you know, make trades that they wish later they could undo. 
But, you know, we still need to wait until we see what Matthew Libertor becomes before we, you know, drop the hammer on the fact that this was a bad trade or a good trade. Neutral sites in the World Series. We'll wrap it up with this and then also ask you, because you've written about this at thecardinalnation.com, so far, so good. It's worked. We're seeing a Dodger-eccentric World Series. They travel well. So we saw that last night with game number one. But neutral sites, I wonder if this is something that baseball will take a hard look at in the fall classic. You know, we we talked about this very briefly last week, and it it got me thinking about it. So, you know, I was watching the games uh, in the the championship series, you know, thinking about this. And there was a lot of talk both on both networks, TBS and Fox, saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this – grind having to play every day in the postseason and it forces the managers to have to use more of their rosters and gee they can't use the same two starting pitchers over and over again like that's a big problem and I I get that some people would like to see you know Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg for example for Washington pitch every game but that's not how the teams got there they got there because they had five-man rotation and this whole thing about it's a grind to play seven games in a row. Well, look at the regular season schedule. How often do teams play seven games in a row? I mean, that's common nature. So I, I don't get that this schedule is a big inconvenience. But after I thought about it more, where I started to struggle was the fact that if you have a neutral site uh, series, what, whatever round it is, granted, it, you can get those seven games in a row, but the home team fans don't get a chance to see their teams. And I have a, you know, I have a concern about that. I have an issue. I I, I really like the fact that baseball, as well as the NBA and NHL, not the NFL, obviously the Super Bowl, that they let their team fans, you know, cheer on their teams in, in the postseason. And so, you know, I'm not as sure about this, um, you know, seven games straight for the World Series in the future. And to that end, if you look at the schedule for this year's World Series, they actually built in the two travel days, the two off days. They won't be travel because the whole World Series is going to be in Arlington. But they've actually built in the two off days into the World Series schedule this year as if they were you know, having the first two games in one site, the three in the other, and then the final two back in the first location. Brian, great stuff. Thank you as always. We'll catch up next Wednesday. Take care, Dan. That's Brian Walden of VitalNateCarnation.com. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Bellinger with a fly ball to right field. Well hit on its way. Gone a home run. I think we're all just trusting in each other and understanding how good we are. And uh, like I just said, not putting pressure on ourselves, but going on having fun and playing our game. And when we do that, we're, we're a really good team. Mookie Betts, first pitch with a fly ball to right field. Heading on back is Renfro at the wall, and it's gone! A home run! Mookie Betts is doing merely everything. I mean, if we play at our best, no. I mean, I don't, I don't think... I think we are the best team. I think our clubhouse believes that. And so, you know, there's going to be certain times where, you know, we get beat and we that happens. But as a collective group, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and playing the way they're supposed to, I, I don't I don't see how that can happen. As Clayton Kershaw after the game last night, six innings, one earned, eight strikeouts. Only pitched longer than that in a World Series game twice. He was really good. Cody Bellinger started it off with the two-run homer to begin the World Series. Tyler Glasnow was not good. Four and a third, six earned, eight strikeouts, but the six walks. You cannot do that against that lineup with a guy like Bellinger and Betts and Seager and Muncy and Turner. You open up big innings, and that's what happened 
against the Dodgers. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals. Last night on the Fast Lane, they had Jim Edmonds on. I get the chance to work with Jim Edmonds, and Jim Edmonds is a baseball savant. He sees things that I don't see, you don't see. The guy is really good. So when we talk about how the Cardinals have to be better with their offense, their OPS, and that, look, average is fine, runs batted in is fine, home runs is fine, slugging is fine. You look at OPS. The team this year, the OPS was 694. Ouch. It's got to be better. You got to have it better. So one of the guys that I think you have to look towards next year, and you don't put it all on his shoulders because he's young, he's 21 years old, is Dylan Carlson. So when Jimmy says something, I pay attention. So he was asked about Dylan Carlson yesterday. If you missed it, this is what he had to say. Uh, his mind. He is so calm. He thinks about the game. He sees the things that I saw on defense. Tells me that he sees the thing that you can sees the things that you're supposed to see on offense. And I think for the first time in his life, I think things sped up on him. And I think he went back and went, "Wow, I got to slow down and start over." And he did that. And I'll be honest with you, if he's not playing 75 percent of the games next year, I'll shocked because I think that's what kind of player he is. And he's just got to, you know, use his mind, have someone help him out every day and just think the game through and slow down. He's going to be great. I mean, like I said, talking to him in the outfield, I was blown away 19 and 20, 20 years old. So I'm, I'm sure he's going to be ready come next season. And I'm, I'm looking for him to probably, like I said, I don't know about being a starter, but by the end of the year, he's going to be playing 75 percent of the time. He's going to be a starter, by the way. Sorry, Jimmy. Well, he He's going to start somewhere. I I think he projects as a corner outfielder, probably a right fielder. You do have Dexter coming back next season. Uh, Bader, by the way, third in OPS for the Cardinals last season to Spuggles early early on. Very good defensive player. Um, But, yeah, Dylan Carlson's in the starting lineup opening day for me next year, period, end of story. As far as Jimmy being the hitting coach next year or some kind of role with the team, he's going to have a role. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't think it's going to be the hitting coach. I don't think he wants to dedicate that much time. You know, these guys are are getting there at 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning for eight months. He's got a young family. Um, I don't think he wants to do that. So that's my personal opinion. I haven't asked Jimmy about that, but that's what I think. We were talking about this on the crossover. Um, Games actually were two minutes longer this year rule changes and a little promotion here. Mike Schilt will be with us tomorrow. I'm going to ask Mike about the rule changes, what he wants to keep, what he what doesn't want to, to keep in the game, what he liked, what he didn't like. Um, and last year, you know, the word got out that Major League Baseball was pushing for a 14-team postseason. Number one seed in each league would get a bye to the LDS round. Other six teams play a best of three wild cards, so on and so forth. Owners have long wanted to expand the postseason. I think it's been a hit, and I think they're going to keep it. I would imagine, as we look forward, is that actually starting a runner at second base in extra innings has been a good thing. I'm not sure I like the three batter minimum because it didn't speed up the game. I'm not sure it was a good thing. Uh, If you're going to have a COVID-type season with doubleheaders, then you have to have seven-inning doubleheaders. It was good. It was good for the game. So if you're expanding postseason and that means you move it up, you might have seven inning doubleheaders. That's something to look for. Uh, Danny Mack uh, heard the interview with Brian Walton. I'm not so sure you bring back Colton Wong. Don't like him offensively. That's the point, though. I love him defensively. And the Cardinals, in my mind, not only a a hitter, maybe two hitting hitters away. And if you're going to be built on pitching and defense, he's the cornerstone, at least one of them, of your defense. You're built up the middle. 
Molina, Wong, Bader in center, DeYoung, short. But Wong is elite defensively. I bring him back. Maybe try to extend him. That's one of the things I look at. We'll cross it over. Ribs, BK. Coming up next, this is 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. All right, Ribs, BK coming up. And I'm looking forward to their guest list because I'm a part of it. Uh, Chris Kerber, also the voice of the Blues, is coming up. And then you have the voice of college basketball coming up. And this is not really going to be, I I would assume, much about college basketball, (laughs) more so than it is about him being, I, I think he has been a season ticket holder for the Rays since their inception, and that is one Dick Vitale. Yeah, Danny, I actually have no idea where it's going to go, okay? I mean, Dick he Vitale... He probably doesn't either. No, he has no idea. And I just told you, I said, it's going to be interesting to try and keep it in one lane. Yeah. But I don't even care because no, he's great. so energetic. He's always got great stuff. But yeah, the point of having him on is because he's a massive Tampa Bay Rays fan and I want to talk to him about, you know, how that's been down there, what he thinks after game one. Yeah, I was just going to say about him being a huge Rays fan, Jamie. Thanks for uh, looking at me right there. No, you were, you were waving <laughs> yeah, yeah. your hands. I thought yeah, you were joking. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just tell a quick story, Dan, if you're cool with that. It's your show. <laughs> That's your show. Um, so when I was a kid, I went to a Rays Pirates spring training game, and Dick Vitale traveled to wherever the Pirates play, I think Bradenton or something. He was there sitting next to me, a little Scotty whatever um at 10 years old decided to sign a sign to sign a baseball for me so i just wanted to attest to his fandom for that for the Tampa bay rays he's been games forever very nice man uh met him on multiple occasions he's raised millions of dollars for big, the big v foundation yes big um, time. so that's that's awesome too if you go down that road but he is a massive massive race fan and you know you think about a, a guy that's been a season ticket holder since their inception which i believe he has been and to be embedded with them as a fan of what that has been like, because it's always a threat every year. Well, are they going to play half their games in Montreal? <laughs> Montreal you know, are they going to go yeah. to Puerto Rico? Are they going to lose their stadium? Are they going to get a stadium? All those things. And here they are uh, with limited resources, and yet they find a way. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it stinks, too, a little bit for that organization. And I want to talk to Dick about that as well, is this is a year where they could have crushed it revenue-wise, getting all these extra games in their building, getting all these extra fans in, and obviously that's not a part of it. It's actually headed in the other direction. How hard is that for the franchise that struggles year to year with, like what you said, going to play in Montreal, going to play somewhere else? Are they going to stay in existence? And if you watch a game last night, it was a definitely a pro-Dodger crowd. I mean, the Dodgers travel. Their fan base is going to travel. They have a huge... Oh, yeah. You know, it's a huge following. Well, think and, about it, right? Yeah. Dodgers or Rays. People are like, who are the Rays? Yeah. I. Uh, but they, they are such an interesting story. I mean, I make my living off baseball, so I follow Friedman and what he's done and what he's doing in L.A., and I follow, you know, what's going on with how they do business. And it's it's fascinating how they, they squeeze the, you know, squeeze oh, the most ever. out of what yep. they can get. So it's cool. Looking forward to the show. Thanks, buddy. All right. SBK, Alex, the coming up next. Scotty, great job. This is 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.